No. Well, I, I, I've done that. Yeah, I've done that. Uh, he and I are pretty much square right now. So I, you know, I don't think he's going to pay for it anyway. I mean, I think we'll just split it up three ways and, um, uh, Sarah's going to wait on us. Sarah's are, uh, yeah. And so we can, you know, we can work through her as many days as supposed to. So. Yeah, I don't know how else to, you know, it's, it's just not worth it. And, you know, we, we've taken them, we've been going back and forth. So. All right, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Illumine our hearts, O Master, who love us mankind with the pure light of the divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our mind to understand the gospel teachings. Implanted us also the fear that blessed commandments, that trampling down all carnal desires, we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as will pleasing unto thee. For thou art the illumination of our souls and bodies of Christ our God, and after thee describe glory, together with that Father who is everlasting, and all holy and good and life giving spirit, now and ever, in the ages of ages. Amen. Amen. How's everyone doing today? Good. Good. Okie dokie. I think we were just about to the Lord's Prayer. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And Scott, I love what you made last week. Scott made a great point where when we're talking about repeating prayers, <laughs> it's right before Jesus says, pray then like this. <laughs> and it's a prayer that we repeat all the time, that all Christians know we repeat. We don't have to argue that with anybody. They might not like our 40 Lord have mercies, but they don't complain when we say the Lord's Prayer. So that's kind of nice. Hey, Father, can I make a comment on that? Please. I, I thought that um, when he said, pray like this, I thought that um, um, what he meant was um, that you should pray like in that manner, um, like acknowledging the first is uh, our Father who art in heaven, and acknowledge the uh, heavenly Father, and then um, that—that's what I thought he meant. Um, Absolutely. Okay. Um, have any of you seen the movie Young Frankenstein? Yes. <laughs> so Young Frankenstein. Frankenstein, yeah. walk this way. Remember that scene? Yes. So the guy says, walk this way, meaning follow me. And he's hunched over. So the guy follows him, hunched over. So you're absolutely right, uh, Elaine. But it's not just pray in a similar fashion. It can be. But if you right. want to pray like this, what's the best way to pray like this? Pray exactly like this. Right. Yeah. So it's it's not either or, but you're right. It's there's It's not just when we say the Lord's Prayer that we pray like this. All of our prayers should be like this. Right. So we're acknowledging the Lord 
and then we're thanking him for um, everything and uh, then asking for what we want. That's that's a generalization and those are all true. But for example, our father who art in heaven, that's not just acknowledging God, it's acknowledging him as father, right? As our father, right? And the father who is in the heavens. That's the actual translation. We say in heaven, yeah, you know, you, you think of like most of us look at our theology from cartoons, where it's like that place with the clouds and the angels and the harps. Right. In the heavens is is the one who's above and over all. So um Yes, you're right in saying acknowledge God, but there's so much in here specifically, which is why this is the core prayer of the Christian. Right. But for every, every service that we do, because if we're going to pray like this and we, it's either going to be almost identical to this, or if we're going to hit it right, or it will be this. And that's why we just, we use, I mean, these are Christ's words. Right. So yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's it is both the pattern and the actual um, prayer that when he says pray like this, we're we're going to pray exactly like that. Right. Okay. Thank you. You got it. Um, look at verse thirteen. Do any of your Bibles have anything after deliver us from evil? Mm -hmm. Here's his evil one. Okay. Ah, let's solve that controversy. Don't <laughs> we say it like that? It's a, isn't that new, Father? So I have, to, I have to turn you guys around. <laughs> uh oh. Uh, you still there? Yeah. Yep. Okay. I gotta remember my my uh, Scott helped me with this. Ponedo, um, how do you say Ponedo? It's the noon. Bon. Oh, I didn't guess it. I gotta bring this. I bring this in every week. And I hardly ever use it. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm, I'll do this in in English. I'll I'll I'll, Engl I'll Englify the Greek. Forgive us, Maria. <laughs> Maria, do you forgive us? I forgive you. All right. Because we all know Greek is the sacred language, and you can't do anything to improve upon it. Right. Right. Uh, all in agreement. <laughs> okay. Duponeru is um, either translated as deliver us from evil or the evil one. Now, there are some people, and Bishop Anthony is included in this, who would say it's most properly the evil one because, um, and I forget which is which, evil. Evil is is the, the the neuter. What's the what's the feminine, masculine, and the neuter? Is that the third? The non neuter. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. All right. Okay. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll skip to the end. It can either be delivers from evil because you have it. This is the the part, the evil. But see, English doesn't always use the the. Okay. If I say, give me water in Spanish, I'm going to say, give me the water. There's oh, they always use the definite article. Uh, Greek always uses a definite article. So in, in, in English, we say deliver us from evil, which is a translation most of us are used to, or some people are using the evil one. And why? Because this can either be, depending on how you look at this part, it's too complicated into, but either one will work. Just trust me to tell you that grammatically in Greek, it both this can be translated correctly as from evil, and it can be translated correctly as the evil one, but in different ways. In other words, you can't tell which one. There's two different things. This could be one or the other. It's not like how do I want to render it? You know, sometimes I say that in English, you it's hard to render in English something that's in another language. This is not that. This is saying it's kind of like this. This is another example. What's that word? I can't, stand it. can't read it, Father. <laughs> well, my mother says I write in chicken scratches. She said, you should have been a doctor. R E A D. Read. 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 Which, Which one? You can't tell. Okay. In a similar way, they're both correct. You got to tell by the content, and the context won't always tell you that. In the same way, you can't solve whether this is evil or the evil one. And it's it's a grammatical thing where it can be either one, and you can't tell. Father, now, yeah. I'm sorry. Bishop Anthony, when I asked him about it, he said, when you say the evil one, you mean the devil. But all evil comes from the devil. Therefore, the evil one is more appropriate than just evil. Right. And, and far be it for me to contradict Bishop Anthony. I think he's absolutely correct. Not that he needs me to support his, his assertion. My argument with the translation is not which one is more grammatically correct, because it can be either one. And he's right. And Bishop Anthony is smart to know that every time we talk about deliver from the evil one, included in that is the evil one and all that his influence leads to. And I would add at that point, including my own tendency towards evil. Okay, now this is where you're going to get my bias. My bias is to say deliver us from evil, not the evil one. Again, grammatically, you can't tell which one. My bias is if I say deliver us from the evil one, I've got in my mind, because I'm not thinking as complex as Bishop Anthony, the devil's the problem. Deliver us from him. And all his influence. But I know that in my mind, if I say the evil one, I'm going to limit that too much to the devil's influence, and I'm going to let myself off the hook. So I say deliver us from evil, 
because in my understanding, obviously that includes the evil one, includes the devil and his influence, and includes my own tendency to choose that which is evil. And if I say the evil one, I'm afraid I'm going to let myself off the hook way too much. So uh, both are correct. Um, you're going to hear more people choosing to use the evil one. one. One of the values about that is that in our modern day, a lot of people aren't aware of the devil. Mm -hmm. We spent um, a good amount of time. What class was that? Oh, I, I, I'm doing an online thing on Monday nights where we're, we're using the Star Wars movies as sort of a background to talk about spiritual warfare. And I was making the point on Monday that um, the devil doesn't want to be seen for doing what he's really doing. What he's really doing is, is he has wrath against God who's conquered him and conquered him with, without any real battle. And so he's angry and he's bitter. And in his bitterness, he tempts us as a way to seek revenge against God whom he can't do anything against. So he's, as Revelation says, he has great wrath after he was cast down here to the earth. So it's good for us to remember there is an evil one and that his goal is to take us away from God whose goal is to save us. So there's value in both. There's value in using evil and evil one. My, again, my bias is evil is more comprehensive in my mind anyway. And it makes me aware of the devil, but also aware that of, I'll put it this way. Most time that I'm, that I sin, the devil doesn't need to help. <laughs> I don't need his help. I'm fine sinning all on my own. So it, it's important to know he's there and why he's there. I think it's also important for us to recognize our own tendency to sin without any influence of the devil. Not that you need my support, but I agree with what you're saying, especially when you're related to the sentence before that says, and lead us not into temptation. So we're asking not only to um, deliver us from evil, but don't even tempt us to, to get started. Yeah, and now we're we're going to we're, we're attacking this backwards. That's okay, no problem. Um, that's so misunderstood. Hang on, just a second. Yeah. Um, oh, go ahead. Is it on that topic? Yeah, it's it's on that very line. Um, so you know, I I don't go to the Catholic Church or anything like that, but I do listen to the news, and I've heard that the Pope wants to change that particular line because it, he thinks that uh, the Lord does not lead us into temptation. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say is, is, you know, the Pope's an easy target these days for a lot of people. On this one, I think he's right, and I'm going to bring up, just to make sure, I'm going to confirm for myself before I say it out loud. Uh, B. Pirasmon. Let me just check and make sure. Seminary was a long time ago. <laughs> um, 
Father, if I could uh, come in on this one. Uh, I was talking to, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I was talking to, um, oh goodness, I can't believe I can't remember him, but our bishop from my church in Colorado, St. Spiridon, and he That's said, Isaiah. Hello. Oh, Isaiah. Yes. Bishop Isaiah. Yeah. And he said that instead of saying, lead us not to temptation, we should be saying, let us not be led into temptation mm. because of that. Like God doesn't lead us into temptation thing. Yeah. And that, that's true too. Here it is. So the pirasmon, what, what gets translated as temptation, the root of it really is the idea of to the end, which doesn't really make a lot of sense that the 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 pedas is the end. But if you think about it, how does a semester end? With a test. With a test. Okay. How does a wedding preparation end? So you've done the preparations, right? Or a party or whatever. The, the preparation, it ends with the sort of, now we're going to find out if we were ready. Okay. So if you think about the Pires Moon, temptation looks like don't, don't let us be tempted. Okay. But, is that James? We miss James. I guess he's talking in the background. He had a letter about eight, ten years ago. It says, "Unhook this the fire hazard electric line." You're going to mute James, Sorry. I can't tell the way it's off. Yeah, it's off. Good. Um. So the idea is not don't don't let us be tempted. Don't bring the final exam yet. Okay. But if you think about it, that's a temptation because, I mean, it, it can be, you can translate as temptation. Temptation is when all of our talk and all of our image and all of our assumptions are going to be what? Tested. We can say we're faithful. We can say we're with God. We can say we're doing the right thing. When the temptation comes, now we're going to be tested, not meaning like we're going to grade, it's going to be shown where we're really at. And that's the idea of lead us not into temptation. It's, it's like you're in the classroom and you're cramming because as soon as the professor comes, you got to close the books and he's going to bring the test out and you start. What's that? And I might fail, which is why I'm cramming. Okay. So that idea of, oh God, delay him i just need 10 more minutes but i'm not ready yet that's the idea of lead us not into temptation and father saint james says god does not tempt anyone exactly so it can't be yeah. god it can't be god tempting us right and so it's 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 oh sorry no no i'm i'm but i just wanted to ask if this is the Orthodox study Bible, when we say trespasses, what's the, the, the debts versus trespasses? Hang on up for just a second. I, I, I love that one too. Um, on, on the idea of um, 
Lead us not to temptation. Um, so I'm going to read for you in Tom Book. Um, what was I going to say? Nah, maybe we'll come back. Does it have the sense of don't test us yet? Or okay, that's what it was. Thank you. <laughs> so it's not that God brings temptation, and it's not wrong to say lead us not into temptation. It's okay to think of you know save me from the temptation that's not a bad prayer but if you want to understand more accurately it's don't bring me to temptation because don't put me to the test yet because in the test and what's the test in the biblical sense in the context of the bible genesis to revelation the test is the last day it's the judgment and for us, judgment doesn't come until then. Which is why, by the way, if you ask an Orthodox who's saved and who is not, we say, we don't know. I can't say I'm saved. The judgment hasn't come yet. The only people we, we, we pronounce judgment on are the saints. And originally, all the saints were martyrs. By their witness, their, remember in the Revelation study, witness and martyr, the same word in Greek? They were martyrs because they were witnesses to their faith by dying for Christ. That was their proof. And so we have no problem declaring the martyrs of saints. Later on, what we're going to recognize is that same martyric sacrifice, that same self-sacrificing love that the martyrs showed, others showed it without dying. They either suffered for the faith, we call them the confessors. They had limbs cut off, they had eyes plucked out, they were you know, burn, all kinds of terrible, terrible things. They were confessors. Others lived the ascetic life in a very full way. So they ate very little, they slept on rocks, they did everything they could to rid themselves of attachments to this life. Others sacrificed by traveling long places to bring the gospel. So we expanded our definition of martyrdom, but it still say the same, like by the proof of what they did. But short of that, we don't pronounce judgment. So yeah, that's the idea is, is, is don't don't bring the final exam yet. I'm still working on it. Now let's go to your question. And I only have a, a part two also. <laughs> that's all right. Okay, so I, maybe I should say that first. When Jesus was first telling them, say this prayer, was he speaking Aramaic or what? Probably, but when it was written, it was written in the Greek. It was written in the Greek. So who, okay, so who, how did it get that? How did it get to the Greek when they wrote it? So when each of the evangelists wrote their gospels, yeah. all of them wrote them in Greek. They all wrote them in Greek. It doesn't mean that they weren't. But they would have understood Aramaic? Probably, they, yes. Okay. Probably. Aramaic was, was the local language, the local common language. Which, by the way, is still spoken in a couple villages. Only a few left. Yeah. Okay, and then the other part was debts versus trespasses. Okay, so here's why I like debts, although I'm not advocating we change it. Not on the board. Um, 
if you say forgive someone that trespassed against you, what do you mean by that? Somebody did something. Oh, by the way, Mary, we, we, we muted you, so you have to unmute. Someone hurt your feelings. Okay. And by forgiving them, what are you doing? Well, you're making peace with them. Okay, good. So that's our general understanding. That's not wrong. Mm -hmm. That when you forgive them, you've made peace, you're on good terms, you're back together, however you want to phrase that. What that doesn't convey, that debts does convey, is um, if I want more coffee, I run out of coffee and I take Scott's coffee. He's starting to shake. Look at him. <laughs> and I take his coffee. No. Right? Yeah. I owe him something. All right. Now he's mad because I took his coffee, but I owe him something. Until I restore what I owe, he can make peace with me, but I owe him something. How does he, how do we come to peace? He says, it's okay, Father, you can have my coffee. And he means it. In other words, I take the coffee, I now owe him a coffee. But I don't replace the coffee. He forgives me the debt. And he decides I no longer owe him a cup of coffee. So it is peace, but it's peace in a way that I think is so specific. I think it's important we don't lose it. Forgiveness of a debt is something that the, um, the loaner is the only one that can do it. Right? If Lynn says, Father, I got to borrow $10, and I loan her $10, and then she comes back, like, I'm going to pay you next week. Don't worry about it. I forgive the debt. Right? And those of you that are accounting, Elaine, you can tell us all about this. There are times when on your accounts receivable is a debt, and it goes on and on and on, and it's taking you all this energy to maintain that accounting of it. What do you do eventually if you want to be rid of that debt and the person hasn't paid it? You write it off. Or sue them. <laughs> you might sue them, but in the meantime, either that they owe you the money or you can actually remove the debt without them paying it. Right? Yes. yes. And that is the essential idea of forgive us our debts. In other words, when we sin against God, we have not paid something we owed him. What do we owe God? Everything, right? Everything. But specifically, we owe him our obedience to his will. If he says don't kill anybody, we owe him to fulfill that and don't kill anybody. If I kill somebody and I break his rule, I owe him because I, I, have, I have a debt because I didn't obey him. I owe him my obedience and I didn't pay it. Now, I can't raise that person from the dead, but he can say to me, I forgive the debt. And even if I can repay the debt, he can choose to forgive it without me repaying it. That's the sense of forgive us our, our debts or our trespasses. So the sense is the same. The problem is language changes and trespasses doesn't always convey 
the the transaction of owing the other person something. Sometimes we say, you owe me an apology. If you forgive someone because they owed you an apology and they gave you the apology, does that take care of the original offense? Does the apology pay for the, the crime? No. It just, it might encourage you at that point to say, okay, I forgive you. It's not like they paid you. Oh, you paid me the apology? That, that nothing ever happened. No, it, you, you might decide that, but it's still on you to do it. Which is why when Jesus talks about forgiveness, he uses the image of, of debts. Right? Remember that parable, the, the man who owed the 10,000 talents and the other one he owed 100 denarii. And it's, it's, a, it's a debt that only the loaner can decide has been paid if it was owed. In that, in that, in that specific uh, parable, Jesus uses this really outrageous amount to make it clear, like, we can't make it up. We can't make up to God. Either he forgives the debt or we remain in debt. Was that Alan? What happens, Father, when we make a, I make a mistake and I ask for forgiveness, but I'm not forgiven? So, not accept my apology from God or someone else. I'm sorry. From God or from someone else? Well, I believe God would accept my apology. Correct. But now, someone, another human being. Yeah, he, he accepts our repentance. If we say, I went the wrong way, I'm going to return and go back the other way now. He accepts that. And he permits that as, as uh, payment. Because he, he forgives the debt because we've repented, we've changed. The other person... It is on us absolutely to do everything we can to seek their forgiveness, to be um, sincere, to be clear, perhaps to repeat it, the, the request. But ultimately, when it comes to the judgment, now that other person has a debt, they owe God if they don't forgive you, right? So you did something. You owed them, you asked for forgiveness, they didn't give it, your repentance cleared you, but now they owe God something, namely your forgiveness. And if they go to their grave with that lacking, they're going to have to answer for that. Which is why, by the way, when we look at forgiveness, Jesus always changes the subject. Whenever we talk about who I have to forgive and how many times I got to forgive, he changes the subject to how much has God forgiven you? Pick which system you want to live under. One of my children recently uh, was making a request. And it was something that they wanted from me, but they hadn't done for a sibling. And I made the point of saying, why are you going to ask me when you haven't done the other one? And until you do the other one, why would I do for you? So it's the same kind of thing where um, if we don't forgive another, that's, that's the dangerous place to be. Because then you're telling God, according to Jesus, 
when you say forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Note that it doesn't say forgive us our trespasses. Right? Is this essentially us asking for forgiveness? You could make the argument, but you could also make the argument that that's the secondary part of it. The primary part of it is forgive me as I have already forgiven. You see that? It's not just us asking for forgiveness. There's there's a catch, and we are adding in the catch. Jesus taught us to add in the catch in the prayer. We're not saying forgive us our trespasses, no matter who I forgive or don't forgive. <laughs> we threw it in there because Jesus taught us to, and we're obedient to it, and now we're stuck with it. Forgive me, God, just like I have already forgiven everybody. What have I haven't? What am I telling God to do? Not forgive you. You see how dangerous this prayer is? <laughs> it's, it's scary. Father knows too. I mean, I mean, it's it's a present tense. As we forgive, not not like have for have forgiven. Well, it's present in what we ask it. Yes. What's the tense of our forgiveness? Let's have forgiven. Well, I, I got you in, in, in translation. And forgive us as we forgive. Um, let me look it up here. Maybe it is present. Not if you mean maybe it is present. Yeah. Some, some translate it as have forgiven. But that's probably just the English rendering. Yeah. Forgive us as we forgive. Yeah. It looks like it's the same tense. Yeah. Although I think it's Harris. Is it? I forget. It's a lot of yeah. I'm cheating. I'm cheating. <laughs> but though I was interested, like but you notice, and you made this distinction. This is asking for forgiveness, not offering an apology. Those are different things. Correct. If I offer you an apology. You know, like I've wronged you, I owe you a debt. And I go, Father Michael, I'm sorry, here's my, I apologize. Mm -hmm. That, that doesn't grant you the ability to grant me forgiveness. Correct. That's me still kind of maintaining power <laughs> and going, here's my apology, take it or leave it. Versus forgiveness is, you know, Father Michael, will you please forgive me? That's putting me now in a in a position of I I now have to receive forgiveness from you rather than just Correct. offering you an apology. Right, because forgiveness is always granted; it can't be demanded. Yeah, it can yeah. be asked for, but it can't be the 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 petitioner doesn't make the decision. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, yeah. you can be demanding. Forgive me, or <laughs> I don't. But I don't think it'll work for you. Doesn't right. work. Doesn't right. Work that way. The Bible never tells us to apologize to people. Exactly. Like, and and so what's the relationship of the apology to one's requirement to forgive? Is there a connection? We say all the time, well, I need an apology. Do we need an apology? No. 
You can hope for one, but you don't need it. And if you say I'm waiting for it, if you put that as a condition, there you go. Whenever we decide not to zero out somebody's debt, that might hurt them, but it definitely hurts us. Which is why Jesus writes it the way he writes it. So the way he says it is, forgive us as we've forgiven. Because if we haven't forgiven, we're the ones that are in trouble, not them. But is it different, Father, if you're saying that to your children? Like, I need an apology from you, you know? Or is it the same? Well, if you're teaching them and you want to teach them, say, you, you need to apologize, that's educational. It's not a matter of, if you're saying that, like, you're not going to forgive them until they apologize, now you're putting a condition on your forgiveness, which means you're putting it in their hands. And what Jesus is telling us is, forgive everyone everything. And if you put a condition, now I show up um, at the judgment, and I said, and I'm being told, well, you didn't forgive someone. Well, they didn't ask for me. They didn't ask the apology, as if that's going to clear me, right? Forgiveness. So I say it's always in the hands of the the grantor. It's always the one who's owed that makes a decision because there's no excuse saying that the condition outside of me wasn't met. They weren't sorry for it. They didn't apologize. They kept doing it. That none so of that relieved me from my responsibility to forgive. So what you're saying is that if you don't want your salvation to be in the hands of the person you're angry at, you should forgive them. Not just, no, not their hands. <laughs> Who's who's my whose hands are is my salvation in? In your own. No. God's. Yeah. And God is telling us this is how you're going to be forgiven. You have forgiven everyone else. Right? I can't say, well, they didn't apologize. That would mean that my salvation is in their hands, which it's not. Yeah. All right, we're going backwards. We'll keep going backwards. <laughs> Give us this day our daily bread. How do we normally understand that? Everything we need from day to day. Yeah. We think of it as um, our, our, our daily necessities, right? That's true. If you Isn't think about it. Oh, Isn't it a reference to the manna that fell from heaven after the Israelites crossed the Red Sea? Or? Yeah, in a sense, like they, they asked God for sustenance. He gave them what they needed. Okay. So in the one sense, it's our daily needs. What God gives us that we need for the day, which we typically minimize because we live lives of excess like for for me to skip a day of eating is not going to kill me um but the word there um last night in in the intro orthodoxy class we talked about the nature being the usia o-u-s-i-a that's the nature of christ he has two natures his usia the word here in daily is 
Epiusion, meaning like the, the highest level of nature. In other words, uh, some people translate it as the super substantial or the extremely necessary or um, some other word, um, like the absolutely essential. So in, in the sense of daily bread is what I need for today. But I'd say sometimes what I need for today, we lose the sense of need because of our excess. If you're wandering through the desert and you have no water and you find like half a cup of a, in a canteen, like that's, that's, the, that's the, the idea. It's so essential for you. Give me exactly what I need. It's not asking for more than that, but it's saying at least that. Now, some people, because it's that super substantial or that super essential, they'll say this is the Eucharist. Anytime you hear bread in the Bible, you've got to at least give a nod towards the Eucharist. Um, and some people use this literally, and, and they, they go to Mass every day or the communion every day. Um, what's interesting is that's, that's not the Orthodox standard even in monasteries there are some monasteries that have liturgy every day but it's not the standard um but still the idea is you, you still can't ignore the um the reference bread bread is, is such a powerful symbol powerful image as i read this in my bible it says give us this day so we're we're asking today for our daily bread in essence but we have to say this prayer every day so that we're sustained with the daily bread correct we're not asking to give us food for a lifetime or give us anything for a long period of time it's just for today and tomorrow we repeat it right and you can tell how we all live by the, the wrong ideas. And you saw this as the pandemic was starting. And the first time there's snow in the forecast, you'll see it again. What happens the day before the storm hits? Meyer this is, is crazy. Nuts, <laughs> right? Yeah. Why? Because the threat is I will have a day that I may not be able to get to Meyer because it's going to snow as if every snowfall is like five feet. <laughs> and we've never been at a snowplow in our life. We got to rush to Meyer because I can get enough. So that's a, a contradiction of this. This says, give me today. Now, tomorrow, even if it is having five feet of snow, the idea is, God, you'll find a way to give me Tomorrow, what I need tomorrow, but I'm not going to worry about that today. Now, don't take it too far. It doesn't mean that you, the planning is wrong, that preparing is wrong, but it's that underlying fear of that craziness at Meyer the day before the snow comes. That's what he's saying. Don't fall into that. God is going to take care of you one day at a time. Remember that... Um, where is it when he says, uh, let, let the day's own worries be enough for the day? All right, don't worry about tomorrow. Um, 
Yeah, it's idea of, of, and you're right, Alan, it's it's every day you have to pray this prayer because you're asking today for today. We don't pray today for tomorrow's bread. Right. You'll never find in our prayers, tomorrow make this happen. <laughs> our prayers are always for what we need from God now because we trust that tomorrow we're going to pray the prayer again and tomorrow God's going to answer the prayer. Make sense? Um, Father, I might add to this too. Um, also, I think it's this line, give us this day of daily bread is referring more than just to like things we need in our lives, like food and water and, you know, a job, this or that. But it's more also referring to the daily bread of God's grace to us every day. And like when we pray in the morning, you know, our daily bread is like the sustenance of our daily prayer, of our daily, you know, our daily Christian lives. Would you agree yeah. with that? Yeah, I would agree with it, but only to understand that it's not one versus the other. One is a symbol for the other. So the, the bread that we're asking for daily, bread is one of those staples, even across most cultures, there is some form of that bread, for some people it's rice, but it's that daily staple of, that's at the core of not cuisine, but of sustenance. It's that staple of life. Um, and it's give us that, so you're right, but it's not as if, okay, give us this, bread over here so I don't get hungry and oh give me your grace also both of those are part of the same reality of God's providence and we orthodox are, are really we, we stand very firmly on the idea of not drawing lines between what is sacred and what is common or what is spiritual and what is physical there's a reason we cross ourselves with our hands and our arms and that we make prostrations and because you can't say, well, my soul is a symbol of something in my body. Our body and soul is they're united together. So one will reveal the other. And it's not just a one way direction. It's not just like the bread will reveal God's grace to us. God's grace is going to reveal to us that that bread is his grace. Does that make sense? So yeah, you're right. As long as we don't separate and make them different categories. Father. Yeah. Isn't isn't it also that the bread is is such a simple basic thing? And and that really when when you read through Matthew, particularly in chapter six, it, he's talking about basic needs and trusting in God for basic needs. We're not we're not asking or hoping or trusting that God will give us the wardrobe from, you know, New York. Yep. We're saying clothe us so we don't get cold Correct. or we don't get wet or whatever. It's not about the finer things. It's about the basic needs. Correct. And one of the struggles that all of us have, and when I say all of us, I even mean um, some of the poorest among us is very few people live close to that reality 
including in America anyway, most poor people. The number one health risk among lower income Americans is obesity. That's the number one risk factor for lower income Americans. Why? Because it's a risk factor for all of us. All that to say that none of us live close to that level of just getting enough. We live above and beyond. And that is, according to the Bible, a very dangerous place to be. Why? Because we can imagine that we can provide for ourselves. I've told you, maybe I've told you a story, if not, or if I have, forgive me, but it's a, it was a very powerful moment in my life when I was in uh, Africa on a mission trip. And this guy, uh, we stopped in this village, we did a workshop, and this guy said, come by my house. And he said, I want to show you my garden. Now, I was thinking like an American, his garden. His garden is where he gets the fruits and vegetables that are better than what he can get in the grocery store. Because when you grow it, it's not the, you know it's not the same as what you buy. It's like fresh from the garden, vine-ripened tomatoes right off the vine. And you know, you know what, what the food is like out of the garden. For us, we see garden in a sense. Sometimes it's a savings kind of thing. But mostly it's like, I want it good. I want the good stuff. I'm going to grow it because that's where I get the good stuff. And as I'm touring his garden, I realized he doesn't think about the garden that way. He said, and I asked him, I said, do you have like, how do you water your garden? Because his garden was like, you know, it wasn't just a patch of a few feet. It was like, you know, 15, 20 feet by 10 feet, something like that. I said, how do you water? Because it's a very dry area. And I was thinking like, you know, there's no hose, there's no irrigation. I said, how do you water your garden? And he said, when God sends the rain, we eat from the garden. And when God doesn't send the rain, we're not sure how he's going to feed us. That's, <laughs> that's what you're talking about. Give us exactly what we need, right? Um, and, and anything above that is going to be a challenge for us. It's why Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven or harder for was it easier? Easier for a camel to thrive a needle. Why? Because we live far away from this idea of dependence upon God to give us what we need today. Now, I'm going to need tomorrow or next month or next week or in retirement. Give me what I need today. So is it is it wrong, therefore, to have a retirement account or retirement savings? Is that wrong? That's sinful? Is that not trusting God? No. I mean, even in Proverbs, it talks about um, an ant who, who saves and, and watch the honeybees, how busy they are. So yep. I'd say okay. no. Okay. So preparation and planning is not wrong. I agree with you. What if I'm worried about my retirement? That's what if wrong. I'm worried that it's not enough? That's wrong. That's a sin. Yes. Because that says that on that day, whenever the day comes, I may not have enough translation. God may not give me what I need. No matter how much you saved or haven't saved, the idea is do what you can. Like you said, look at the honeybee, be industrious, don't be lazy. 
but then trust in God that it's going to be there. It doesn't mean every time where we keep checking the account, what's going on, the start market suite, you know, swung, and now what am I going to do? That's what he's trying to save us from. Because all that says, I'll take care of myself as long as the stock market goes in my direction, a.k.a. I don't need God. So that's, that's where we sin. It's our worry. It's not in what's in the bank. It's what we look at and think about what's in the bank and is it going to be enough? Or I just need God for all the spiritual stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What did he say, Father? He said, well, it's just like I just need God for all the spiritual stuff. All right, um, going backwards one more step. <laughs> Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we praying for? Salvation. That we get, get eternal life. Could be. Could be part of it. Is it one will with the Father in heaven? Everything is in unity and at one will with the Father? Yeah, one will with his will. So there's sort of that dependent clause as it is in heaven. Yes. So our assumption is that in heaven, God's will is done. Now we're saying is that same will that we know is done in heaven. We want your will to be done on earth. Why is that a weird thing to ask for? What's strange and surprising about that? We want to be in compliance with God's will. Yeah, but we say to him, your will be done. What's sort of strange about that? Yeah, and that, in a sense, we want him to do something about his will being done. Yeah. So it's a weird thing to ask on the one hand. Now, we know why we're asking it. We're saying that in whatever is done, and we would include in that our own actions and in the things that happen around us, your will be done. Whatever happens, whatever I do, whatever is done around me, to me, with me, may that be your will, just like that's the way it happens in heaven. I, I ask the question, what's strange about it? Because I think if we don't understand to some degree that is instructive for us as much as it is a prayer to God. And if you think about this, every one of these lines is, I would even say, more instructive to us than a real request of God. They're all requests of God, right? We, we know that. This is a prayer. We're asking God for these things. But if you analyze them one by one, you'd realize that they make more sense as instruction to us than it is petition to God. You know what I mean by instruction to us? In other words, let's go back a step. Give us this day our daily bread. On the one hand, it looks like, God, please give us what we need, right? That's literally what it's saying. 
Does God need us to tell him, <laughs> do what you always do or be who you always are? Of course not. Now, it's not wrong for us to ask for it. It's, it is even asking for it is instructive for us. What's instructive for us beyond that is God is going to give us what we need every day. And by praying for it, we remind ourselves as we're praying for it that God is going to answer the prayer. Right? We pray, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy isn't a question. It looks like a request, and in one sense it is. Lord, have mercy. But on the other hand, it's a statement. It's actually an imperative. Do this. Right? Why is it safe to say it? Because he is merciful. He is going to have mercy. So all these to say that, all that to say that every one of these, as much as they are asking God, more than just that, they're instructing us who God is and therefore how we can look at life. So we say your will be done. We really do want that, or hopefully we want it, but we also want to sort of change ourselves to really seek that. Again, it's more for us than it really is for him. So Jesus prayed that as well at Gethsemane. Yes. And, and I've said before, if we can pray those four words with sincerity and faith, we would never need to pray any other words. Think about that. If we really prayed with sincerity and with faith in God as, as he really is, so when we, in other words, if we know who the you is and your will be done, would we need any other prayer? I mean, really, in a sense, all prayers are summed up in there. Doesn't mean it's wrong to say other words. Obviously, Jesus is telling us, pray like this. He's saying lots of things. My point is that is that is the heart of prayer. Or at least prayer as petition, prayer as asking. What, what, what's right to ask God? What's wrong to ask God? We could argue that all day long. Is it wrong if I pray for the Steelers to win finally on Sunday? I don't know. What's right is praying for God's will. <laughs> Sometimes we're afraid of asking that, though, you know? <laughs> You've been afraid to ask for God's will to be done? Well, it's terrifying to ask God's will to be done. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. It might be different than mine. <laughs> right. But, Father, yes. is, it also, is it also arrogant? God's will will be done regardless. Yes. Well, so let me remember that it's not so much arrogant as superfluous, <laughs> but we need okay. to say it because we forget. For us. Okay. We have to adjust our way of thinking completely. Well, we're invited to. Yes. You're invited. But in order to really pray that, you're saying forget about me and my desires. Yeah, and that's terrifying. <laughs> it's also why how is it also comforting? Ultimately comforting. 
It is terrifying. I totally agree with you. How is it also also ultimately comforting? Because he's good. He's good beyond our understanding of what that word means. Mm -hmm. So is it really terrifying? No, that's how we often feel when we're praying because, like you said, it might be his will might be different than ours. Why it doesn't need to be terrifying is he knows to say he knows better than us is the ultimate understatement of the world, right? He obviously knows better than, than us in every way, in ways that we could never even measure in a comparison. You can't even make the comparison how much better God is at knowing what will we need. <clears throat> if that's the case, and he is love, then his will is we are going to get exactly the best thing for us. Now, why is it terrifying? Because we too often identify what I want with what is easy. Now, if I want to strengthen my muscles and I go to the gym and there are all the weights there and there's a pile of feathers and I go, I want to strengthen my muscles, but those weights look hard. I'll just go for the feathers. I'm not going to strengthen my muscles. To get to what I really want, I have to do the hard thing. So in other words, when I prioritize my ease and my comfort over my betterment or my growth, I'm not going to get what I'm saying I want. There's always an attention between what we want and what we really need, which is why when we pray, thy will be done, or as Jesus said in Gethsemane specifically, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And that's an important distinction that's not in the Lord's Prayer that's given to us here. But as he says it, it's implied, hopefully, as we say it here, not my will, but thy will be done. And again, talk about instructive. We're the ones that need to be practicing not getting what we want. Why? So that God will get what he, what he wants. Father, then this this prayer and I, I, would would it be correct to say prayer in general? It's not about us changing God with the prayer with our words. It's about the prayer is actually changing us to align with Him. I, I have been on a journey for about seven or eight years, and the journey began by asking the question: me asking the question, how much of prayer is really for God. <laughs> I, and as I've journeyed, I'm not to the place where I'm going to say God doesn't need our prayers at all. No, he doesn't need them. Of course not. How much of it is for God? You can't say that all of it is just for us. But like you, I've been moving along this journey to there's really very little of prayer that's not for me. Now, take that to our topic we've been talking about on Sundays, trying to get everybody a little more consistent with prayer. When we're resistant to pray, it's because the image is, there's something that God wants of me, but I'm busy. So i got to force myself, i got to struggle to do this thing that he wants, and I really don't get why it's so important, because I got things to do, right? We, we don't talk 
that honestly you should, but that's the reality. When really the point you're bringing up is very little of prayer, if anything, is for God. It really is virtually, if not all, about us. And what? What we need, our daily bread, our super substantial need, the absolute, the absolute necessity of our life. And most of us struggle to get that <laughs> because we don't see it that way. We see it as some requirement, some obligation. We're supposed to do it. You know, it's for God. And if we don't show up, he's going to be disappointed because it's about us serving him and all those things we have in the, you know, from the back of our minds. In reality, like everything, it's virtually, if not all, for us. I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm far enough of the journey that I'm not quite ready to say that it's nothing about him or for him. But I'm at virtually, if anything, it's all about over us. God doesn't need our prayers. No. He wants them. But why does he want them? Out of love. Why does he want them out of love? Because, because, he love, because he loves us. Because he is love. So why does he want it? Why does he want it? Because it's, uh, you know, prayer is that is that relationship yes. is that is that um not monologue not monologue right. yeah not us monologuing to god right <laughs> but that dialogue mm -hmm. that maintain i mean trying to maintain a relationship with anybody else without conversation yeah so why does it's he want difficult. it why is it for for the, the uh, building and and deepening of that relationship between him and us. Yeah, but he already has it. Well, he he has it, but we but we he may not have it. <laughs> okay. So why does he want it? So we see the way we understand relationships in our human limited human way, our subhuman way sometimes, mm -hmm. is we're gonna grow close together because we're gonna mutually enjoy each other's company. Mm -hmm. And I like to be with you because I like how I feel. You make me feel good. You, you know, nothing wrong with any of that. But when we are most ourselves, we're most like God, which means I'm going to be with you, even if it's the hardest thing in the world for me. But if it's what you need for your sake, for you, then, then I want to do it. And if I enjoy it, it's only for that reason. Because anything I'm doing that is for us, I'm going to have some selfish motivation. Now, again, I'm not saying that that's wrong in the sense of like, that's where, that's where we're at. Mm -hmm. And so we're not going to pretend that we're not there. So we are going to enjoy that and keep trying to put the emphasis on the other person more and more and more and more. But unlike us, God has no desire to do anything for himself. Every and, and the crucifixion, we were talking last night at, at the intro to orthodoxy class. The crucifixion in orthodox theology is not needed as any kind of payment. It doesn't have to be big, it doesn't have to be really painful because it was really hard and so it earned something big. Jesus in our theology just needs to die. If he dies of cancer, he conquers death anyway. If he dies when a rock hits him on the head, it doesn't matter. He gets goes into death, he comes out of it. So another journey I've been on for a long time now is 
then why the crucifixion? Why go through all of that pain, all of that suffering, all of that rejection? I mean, Jesus suffered absolutely completely in every way possible, physically, emotionally, relationally, every dimension. Why? Why the crucifixion? And the closest I'm getting is because he needed to communicate to us that it really is all about us. And that was the most powerful way he could demonstrate that nothing about this is for me. Not just no easy way out, yes, but don't imagine, because we still do. When we think about it, we were talking about prayer. We think, well, God wants to spend time with us. Sure. As long as you define that is, he's getting nothing out of it other than giving to us. What does God get out of it? He gives. The only thing God gets out of it is the chance to give. Most of us grew up with some kind of a version of we were created to love and serve God. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Absolutely not true. <laughs> Absolutely the opposite of truth. We were created for God to love and serve us. The only reason we were created. Now, he knows that we receive that by loving him. And so in the scripture, you're going to see that he's going to command. In fact, when Jesus says or has asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Don't misunderstand that to be because he needs our love or he wants our love for his own benefit or, or fulfillment. It's so we can receive his love. Because it's always all about us. All right. Well, we went over big time. Sorry about that. But I hopefully it was helpful. Father say. Michael. Yeah. Um, not necessarily for today, but. Um, I have three Bibles in front of me, and um, they all start out with, one is Our Father, which art in heaven, one says Our Father, who art in heaven, and one says Our Father in heaven. Can yeah. we comment on that next week? Well, I, just, I could just tell you quickly, it's an English thing, because... Um, There is no which, who in the Greek. It's literally Father, our, in the heavens. Now, depending on how you render it in English, some people might say, who's your father? Some might say, which one of those is your father? So that's where the which and the who are, are interchangeable. In the Greek, there is no. In fact, in your... If you if you have I, italicized, sometimes that's italicized because there is no who or which or who art to use the yeah one says our father in heaven. That's that's the most literally true, but sometimes to get the sense of it, you got to add in some words. No, because English doesn't doesn't translate English word for word. You got to add in some to make it all kind of work out. Thank you, everybody. Um, next week, are we here next week? I think we are, but I gotta check to be sure. Yes, we're here next week. Not the week after, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. God bless everyone. Thank you, Father. I'm picking up Josh about noon. Thank you. Thank you, Father.
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.